Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post? Sure, why not? Then by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Supermates, a husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris. I'm Cindy. And today we are going to have a very special episode. But before we get into that, I just want to do a plug. Be sure to check out Flowers and Fishnets. I think it should be episode number 19. Uh, I mentioned this in the last episode, but I can confirm that the episode has been recorded and it should be up. Ryan and I discuss artist Murphy Anderson, who recently passed away, and his work on the Starman Black Canary team-ups and Brave and the Bold number 61 and 62, and we had a really good time. Uh, I will say for people following the Starman Chronicles, there are some spoilers for future issues of Starman. Mm-hmm. We will discuss those spoilers later when we get to them in the Starman Chronicles and we are planning to have Ryan join us at that point because it involves Black Canary and obviously Ryan has a Black Canary podcast and Flowers and Fishnets. Uh, I would still you know hardly recommend heading over to Flowers and Fishnets. It's a great show anyway. You know you can hear me and Ryan jawing for an hour and a half or so about (laughs) breaking the polls number 61 and 62. I don't know if it's really that long, but we had a good time. So, Actually, that is just one of several episodes involved in a Murphy Anderson tribute crossover. Uh, I know there's, um, as we record this, plans are still being made, but there are several podcasts that are going to do Murphy Anderson-centric episodes. So check the show notes for this episode at supermatescomic.blogspot.com, and we should have a full list by then, by the time this goes up. Speaking of crossovers, this episode is part two of a super special, super official crossover with the Fire and Water podcast. Back in September, Shag, on his world tour, as many of you who listen to Fire and Water and many other podcasts know, uh, Shag has been on a world tour, and he stopped by Lexington, Kentucky, and Shag and I met and hung out for several hours. Cindy mm-hmm. was unfortunately unable to make it. Yeah, I couldn't get off work. Much to Shag's chagrin because he really didn't want to have anything to do with me. He just wanted to meet Cindy. Well, of but, course. <laughs> because you're hot. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. <laughs> so Shag and I hung out for a while and we recorded a segment for Fire and Water, which we actually recorded that at... Heroes Realm, which is our comic shop in Lexington, Kentucky. Right. Not that we own it, but it's the comic shop. Right, it's owned by the Ethertons. Right, it's it's a comic shop we shop at. And they were super cool and let us record in mm-hmm. the back of the uh, store. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, then me and Chad went to eat, and we recorded a segment in the car, in my car, afterwards for this episode. Now, we... We just did a fluff piece for the Fire and Water podcast, but we got down and dirty for our episode. Mm-hmm. We tackled the big issues. Like? Like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, wow. So here, momentarily, you will hear that episode. Now, this episode has been recorded for quite some time, 
but Shag and Rob were, were both very nice and held back on their portion so ours could sync up because we were in the middle of House of Franklin stuff. Right. So their episode, as we record this, should have come up Sunday night, Monday morning, and ours will drop Thursday. Right. If all goes according to plan. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully it will. Uh, I originally intended the show to be a standalone special because you weren't in it. Right. But Shag's like, well, why don't you just make it part of a, you know, a regular episode? And I was like, no, nah, I don't think I want to. You'll hear me say that. But the way things worked out, it worked out for it to be part of this episode mm-hmm. because we didn't get the feedback last time. So after this segment, we'll have a promo for another show. And then finally, your feedback. But without further ado, I give you the Chris and Shag debate on Crisis on Infinite Earths. special episode of Supermates, a husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris. And, and, and I'm Cindy. <laughs> yes, Cindy had a sex change. No. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, man. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. <laughs> no, I am in my car with, we're still in Kyle Benning's shtick. Uh, <laughs> we're in my car. We just ate Mongolian. We, we feasted <laughs> we, like kings. <laughs> We ate at BD's Mongolian Grill, and now we are going to record a special supplemental episode of Supermates, because I can't make it a proper episode because Cindy's not in it. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> you could tack this on the back half of a, a regular episode. I could, but see, that way I get more episodes out. Ah, oh, smart and, move. And that way, and then, smart and, move. And because you're on it, our, our oh. uh, downloads will spike. Oh, who, who am I, by the way? Oh. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> this is the world. I'm usually, everybody always says, wow. That's the best introduction I ever had, but I didn't give uh, my guest here a very good introduction. It is the Irredeemable Shag. Woo! Yes, so I am, although I am Rob's sometimes um, sidekick when Shag is too busy on Power Records, I'm actually meeting Shag before I meet Rob in person. That's right. We're face-to-face. We're here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, I, by the way, I'm, cause, cause he did such a great job in my introduction. I'm from the Fire and Water podcast, (laughs) uh, and Firestorm fan. And uh, most of your probably nightmares, but uh, at least Cindy's nightmares. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we just came. We went to an amazing comic book store. Mm-hmm. We've been hanging out for most of the afternoon. I'm pretty sure he's going to take me to a backwoods Kentucky place, and I'm probably not going to make it out. Um, I'm envisioning, you know, boxing Helena or something like that happening, or you like Ned Beatty, Misery, or something. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> and I'm not talking about Otis. Uh, oh, I didn't think so. Otisburg, <laughs> Otisburg. <laughs> it looks like the wing of a noose. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, Shag and I have been hanging out for a few hours, having a great time. We went to Heroes Realm, uh, as Shag mentioned, comic shop, um, our, our comic shop, the Franklin Family Comic Shop in Lexington here. And so now we're going to chit-chat in the car, and we were trying to decide what topic do we need to discuss. And I said, let's just go for broke and, and just 
just just like some debate show on CNN or something. Let's just go for it. Crisis on Infinite Earth wasn't necessary. Go, Shag. <laughs> answer, yes. <laughs> I rest my case. Okay. Chris's answer, no. End of episode. No. Best episode ever. <laughs> no, it's, it's really been a hot discussion topic lately. Yes. It, it seems like amongst our, our circle of friends, if you will. Right. Because over on that... Uh, Brian Daly's uh, Secret Origins podcast. Right, yeah. Um, they're doing a lot of post- the Roy Thomas Love Fest podcast? Right, exactly. Right, okay. They're, they're doing a lot of post-crisis origins right now. Yeah. So the whole topic of whether crisis was necessary or not comes up. Mm-hmm. We, uh, over on the Fire and Water Network, where Ryan stole all of his ideas from, Yes. Uh, we just finished up Who's Who, the first round, mm-hmm. which was mostly pre-crisis, some post-crisis, kind of straddled the fence. Mm-hmm. Now we're into the updates, so we're definitely post-crisis. So that discussion seems to come up there a lot, too. So sort of in our circles, it's been a kind of a hot topic. Was crisis necessary? And there's two very strong different viewpoints. One says, no, they should have just kept going the way they are. Mm-hmm. And the other viewpoint is, is no, crisis needed the reboot, and, and the world is better for the legacy characters. Mm. So... That's where we are. I do believe we are on opposite sides of this fence, sir. Yes, I think we are. Okay. so Get out of my car. Well, um, <laughs> I'd prefer you take me back to my car first. But So here, here's why I think it's necessary. First of all, Marv Wolfman, in his infinite wisdom, and in that letter he got all those years ago. Who co-created Starfire, your favorite character. <laughs> How, what's the language on this show, by the way? Is this a family-friendly show? It doesn't have to be. You mean that whore, Starfire? <laughs> So, um, sorry. Anyway, so. Marv Wolfman. You're going to have to edit out a lot of, so, I say that a lot. <laughs> I say Dri- my ums a lot. Drives Rob crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let me compose my thoughts. Sorry, Marv Wolfman. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. So Marv got a letter from somebody who basically, th- uh, apocryphally, Marv got a letter from somebody saying, you know, it's very confusing who's on Earth 1, Earth 2, and all that, and he's decided that needed to get sorted out. Yeah, one fan decided all that. Thanks, asshole. Okay, No. <laughs> He's right. It was confusing as crap, having all these alternate worlds. Now, really, at the end of the day, I don't feel like crisis had to happen for that reason. I don't feel like it had to happen for that. But what I feel like it had to do, DC needed a new launching point. If you look at the sales of DC figures prior to 1985, uh, take Legion and and Teen Titans off the table. Mm -hmm. And your numbers aren't all that strong. That's just true. They're okay. But when you're selling comics in Firestorm is outselling Batman and Superman, quite frankly, there's a problem, okay? <laughs> Says the Firestorm fan. I know. Even I recognize that that shouldn't be that way. So they needed a punch in the arm, or a shot in the arm, I guess, or whatever, of juice. And what Crisis allowed them to do was by starting everything fresh, it brought in new people, brought in new fans. They were able to get creators to come on board and try new stuff. I mean, John Byrne would have never come over there. Now, admittedly, he had some problems over with the Hulk on Marvel, and that sort of pushed him away. But for him to do what he did with Superman, for Frank Miller to do what he did with Batman, I mean, all these different areas where you wouldn't have got such a creative boost. Booster Gold would have sold as well as... I don't know, Silver Blade, if it hadn't been for the beginning, you know, a new beginning with Crisis. I'm a perfect example. I bought Crisis. That, I mean, I was already buying Firestorm because okay. it's awesome. But anyway, I bought Crisis as an introduction. I'm like, oh, there's a big event. Let me see what's going on. And I didn't stop then. That's when I became a fan. That's when I started buying a ton of DC Comics because it was a new beginning. It was a starting point. Rather than Superman, who'd been around for 50 years that I felt like I couldn't jump in on, I felt like I could jump in there. It was a it was a great tactic to steal Marvel readers is probably another way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So you tell me why crisis was unnecessary. I will not argue that DC needed a shot in the arm. Okay. I, I will never argue against that. And, and in fact, I just read an article this morning in Back Issue. I think uh, it's number 82. It's like the big co- comic event uh, issue where they talk and they, they talk about the different crossovers. And oh, that's a great issue. Okay, yeah. yeah. And Robert Greenberger, who was an editor yep. at On Crisis, uh, you know, worked with Lynn Wein and Marv Wolfman. He actually you know, talked about the genesis of crisis and he, you know, everything you just said, you know, that the sales on everything, but Legion and Titans was down. Um, you know, and, and in fact, he, apparently Jeanette Kahn thought that she called the multiverse a barrier, hmm, okay. uh, which I thought was, I'm killing my own point here. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> no, please continue. I'm very interested to hear what you have no, to say. But I mean, I, I thought that's the first time I ever really heard her brought into the front end of the discussion of crisis. I've heard Dick Giordano's name thrown around. Um, I've heard, of course, Wolfman. I've heard, of course, that damn letter. Whoever, who wrote, <laughs> who wrote that letter? You and Ryan Daly can go find that kid who's now 50 years old and beat the crap out of him. Yeah, he's going to show up to his house with a baseball bat. Um, <laughs> no, but, and and don't get me wrong, I love Crisis, the, the series. Um, you know, I've, I've been enjoying the hell out of the uh, the Crisis episodes on Tales of the JSA. Uh, when they come out. When they come out. I wasn't going to say that. You can say that. Cause, I, I, I can say that because I'm friends with Bailey. Yeah, you, you're friends with Bailey. Scott's never going to speak to me again, but whatever. Right, right. So that Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey do. That's a fantastic uh, show. It really is exceptional. Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, I, I love the series itself, but I really do feel like if they had... Done. They could have still have had a huge crisis-like event, and not done away. Maybe done away with some of the peripheral Earths, but kept Earth One and Earth Two, because that was so much of DC's identity. And I really do think that DC has been scrambling to find an identity. They they had the excitement post-crisis. They had all the creators. They had Byrne. They had Miller. They had all these creators coming in for the first time. They stole a lot of creators from Marvel. That had a lot to do with Jim Shooter running them off, really, though. Yeah. Because his oh, yeah. policies changed. He kept he kept changing his, his editorial policies. Secret Wars went to his head, apparently. He thought he was the greatest writer ever, and he just, you know, was dictating all sorts of stuff to people. And they said, fine, I'll go work for DC because they, they'll pay me more money and they give me more of a free reign. So I, I'm not sure that the marvelization of DC wouldn't have happened without... I think it. I, I, I'm not sure wouldn't have happened without crisis as it stood. I think it, they needed something, but if you you had a big event, even if you had the threat that that crisis had with the anti monitor and everything, but you still had Flash die, you still had Supergirl die. But if you kept the the multiverse or at least Earth One and Earth Two, that still would have been a pretty big a pretty big event, and you still you still would have had the identity of the the character of the DC universe that you had before you could have had your cake and ate it too to a point okay i'm going to pose i'm going to i'm going to jump in and ask you a question okay still your turn but i'm going to rough for a second okay okay so if if they didn't do the the chain the destruction of the earth or whatever the consolidation of earth okay and they still did a crisis level story okay what about the aspect of taking everything back to the beginning though getting superman's origin from the beginning, changing who he was, taking Batman's origin back to the beginning, changing Wonder Woman. So, is that still part of your thing? Or are you saying those would be the new Earth One versions? Well, I still think they could have maybe 
and this is where I kind of get a little foggy. I, I'll be honest. Because you're wrong. I, I, well, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've never tried. I mean, you know, there's there's part of me because I do like Crisis, and I and those were exciting times to be a DC fan after Crisis. I mean, I was very excited about it, and I liked the the Burn Superman, but and it was a lot more exciting than the previous comic. So I wouldn't trade the Burn Superman, but I think they could have done it to where. You know, there were aspects of Earth One that were changed in their backstory because they did that anyway. They would, they would, you know, they would change things like over time, like Superman. You know, at first it was, you know, everybody from Krypton had superpowers, and then it was the lesser gravity, and then it was the yellow sun. So they would change aspects of that over the years. If Byrne just said, "This is the new origin of Superman," but then he joined the Justice League, and you know, it didn't change any of his previous appearances but his backstory was a little bit different, then, you know, you could have still got Man of Steel, you could have still got a new jumping on point, and you wouldn't ever had to really have mentioned those stories beyond what his connection to the other characters were, but you could have started over fresh. You know, I mean, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, they could have had it both ways. I understand why they did what they did, and but there's also part of me that if they were going to do it, then I think might have been the time to start, Earth One over from scratch, like Wolfman said. So I'm kind of divided on that. It's like, it's kind of like the new Fifty Two where they didn't reboot Green Lantern and Batman. <laughs> you know, it's like they reboot everything but them, and it's like does not work. Right. It just doesn't work. There's no. I mean, they try to cram, you know, ten Robins into five years, and it just makes Batman look like he's, you know, got him hanging in the closet, and he pulls him, <laughs> which you know, Frederick calling Frederick Worth, and he's got Robins in the closet, uh, but, but uh, you know, like he pulls him out, so. I guess I, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just, my, my fixing of the problem doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how they could do it, but I, I just, I've always just kind of struggled with. They gave up the multiverse, but then you know, time has proven everybody likes that stuff. I mean, Marvel's got look what Marvel's doing right now. Uh, I mean, careful. Yeah, what I know they're, the, what they're doing right now is getting rid of it all. I know, but they've been playing with it. They've been playing with it. Well, they've yep. been playing with it for the past several years, so it's well, like Marvel and DC do the opposite of each other. DC got rid of their multiple Earths. Marvel added them back. Right, exactly. DC, DC's bringing back multiple Earths. Now Marvel's getting rid of them. You know, Marvel started having legacy characters all of a sudden, and, yep. and DC got rid of theirs with the new Fifty Two. Which you know, I, I did like the legacy aspect that we got. That you know, all the the JSA and the JLA were on uh, one Earth uh, to a point that I mean, it it were it was another it was uh, different, but I liked it. But you kind of already had that. You had the the Infinity Incorporated characters that nobody cared about, but you did <laughs> you did have Power Girl and the Huntress already that people did care about, and you had you know you you were already getting you got a new Jason Todd, you know you got a new Robin and Jason Todd, uh, you know. The Flash still died. Wally was still going to take over as Barry. They all knew the Earth 2 characters. So you still would have had that legacy. You could have still had the legacy. You just would have had it on two different Earths. You could have had legacies of characters that couldn't have a legacy on the primary Earth, like Batman and with the Huntress, you know? Mm, okay. So you could have had, you know, you could have continued to, for characters to have kids. You know, what if... You all of a sudden find out Jay Gar Jane and Joan Garrick, Jay and Joan Garrick had a kid. You know, we didn't know about him. And then there's another Flash or, you know, another another speedster character or, or something like that. So, I, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's I, I don't, I wouldn't want to lose, like you said, the energy that came out of Crisis, that DC wasn't reinvigorated, you know, that they... 
Because I definitely needed a punch in the arm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they like you said, a shot in the arm, a punch in the arm, a kick in the ass, whatever. The, <laughs> they, they needed something, and it was very, very exciting. I mean, I was I was there when all this stuff came out. So, but, um, you know, I just, I kind of, you know, as being Earth 2 Chris, I've always, <laughs> I've always, you You're know. Defending your turf. I've defended my turf, man. They took my Earth 2, you know, and. <laughs> When Superman went to the, you know, Daily Planet building, and what you should have realized when he walked in, why does this say Daily Star? You right. Know? It's like, what the hell's wrong with you, Superman? As the editor-in-chief, he should notice these things. They've changed the uh, the furniture and the uh, the decorations there. And all. But, uh, you know, I mean, you know, and then Joan Garrick didn't recognize that. It was like heart range. Like, Earth 2's like gone, you know, and it's it was, it was like, man, what the, I mean, because I was, that was part of the DC Universe I loved was the fact that you could go to Earth 2 and see an older Superman and a grown-up Robin and Batman's dead and, you know, and, and which, you know, that was kind of weird. But I, I bought that, the comic where they were, like, avenging him. That was one of my first JSA books. So, you know, it was just it was just kind of, I don't know. And, and, and we obviously know it totally screwed over Roy Thomas. Yeah, yes. that's okay. <laughs> he was running out of stories. Well, you know, it's interesting in that article and back issue, uh, Greenberger mentions that, well, Wolfman himself says there was no bigger champion as far as going along with it and really doing his part than, than Roy Thomas. Oh, wow. Roy Thomas was a real trooper and worked with the crisis concept better than anybody and got screwed over worse than anybody. Yes, he did. I mean, he, he lost all momentum in his titles. I mean, you know, it, it was... It was the death knell for for his uh, his time at DC, really. So yeah, um, so yeah. yeah you got any other? Oh, I've got lots of counterpoints. I'll go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. So um, you're wrong, um, <laughs> but it, it need. Okay, we, we're so we're agreed on the shot in the arm. Yes, they, they needed that. Yes, I don't think they would have got that energy after a big crisis level event with parallel Earth still. Um, I think what would have happened would have been like what happened in the 70s when they put Superman to work for WGBS mm. and Batman went to Wayne Tower downtown. It would have been small little changes mm. unless they go back to basics and start over and the creators feel to have the freedom to come up with brand new, con you know, the Burns Krypton, completely different than any Krypton ever. True. You wouldn't have got that. And that was a creative, interesting idea that they played with quite a bit down the line with Krypton Man and, you know, the yeah, all that stuff, and all Eradicator and all that. Yeah. Um, I think that they by having the freedom to go back to the beginning and redo it. Well, Batman's a good example because Batman did get retold without being changed a whole lot. Right, he got small changes. So I guess I, all right. Now I'm going to go back on what I just said. <laughs> the Batman formula would have worked for your idea. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wonder Woman would not have because okay. Wonder Woman got completely redone yeah. by George Perez. Yeah. Superman got completely redone. So I we wouldn't have got that invigoration. I don't think. Okay. Um, the Batman movie still would have happened though. Mm -hmm. So Batman still probably would have become more, very very popular. Yeah. But I think Superman sales would have been like they were in the 70s. I don't think he would have been a character people cared about. Mm. Um, Wonder Woman, the same thing. And, and still, you could argue Wonder Woman still didn't become a character people cared all that much about as far as <laughs> sales go, as the years go by. Yeah. Uh, now, I love those old Earth 2 comics. Mm -hmm. And the the like the all-star comics from the 70s. Yeah. I love those. I have them in, so I have them in issue form. I have extra copies in issue form. Yeah. And I have the trade paperbacks. Yeah. Okay? I love them that much. Okay. And... I'm okay that those stories are out of continuity at that point. Like, I could still read them. Yeah. It's the whole idea. Yeah, yeah, they changed it, and yes, the Earth 2 doesn't exist anymore, but you know what? It's still on my bookshelf, Yeah. so I'm good with that. Now, don't worry. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to come around and defend you a little bit in a second. It's okay. going to hurt a little, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> so I'm sitting here saying I'm okay with things that have gone out of continuity because I could still go back and reread those comics. 
Now, as someone that just lived through Flashpoint <laughs> and the New 52, I'm a little jaded that my universe is gone now. Right. So I'm you 20 years later mm-hmm. to some extent. I do miss the post-crisis universe. I do think it was a mis- not. I don't think the New 52 was a mistake. It just didn't work. Right. Uh, so I and but they've gone too far. They can't go back. I miss the post-crisis universe quite a bit. I was one of the suckers who got sucked into convergence for a lot of the, the post-crisis comics. Yeah. Um, I guess bottom line, I still feel like crisis had to happen. I still feel like they had to consolidate the earths down. I think it was cumbersome. I think it was. It is sad that you lose some legacies like Huntress, but I think they they worked hard to try and make her fit some way or another, and eventually she kind of did. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Um, they pushed that square peg through that round hole. Until it fit, yeah. <laughs> uh, it took a long time. Get that hammer out, yeah. damn it. Gail Simone finally made it work. Yes, she did. Yep. Yep. So, end of the day, I think without Crisis, DC would be a smaller, much, much smaller company. Wouldn't be nearly as big as it was in the 80s. Hmm. And who knows what would have happened as the 90s progressed in the 2000s if they were continuing to diminish in sales. They could be a company putting out 15 titles. I don't know. Mm. I, so obviously, Superman and Batman aren't going away because Warner Brothers is going to keep pumping money into it. Right. But I don't think we would have got the 20-plus years of amazing comics that we got out of the post-crisis. Okay. All right. Well, I, you know, I won't. I will not. I mean, I am a fan of the post-crisis universe as well. I mean, I like, I mean, you know, because that was the era I really started, you know, because I was like, how old was it when crisis happened? Let's see. I was like, mm, five. I'm not, that was 85, so I was like 10. Okay. You know, 11 when that came out. So, uh, you know, so right around that time when the post-crisis universe started, that's when I really started, you know, like putting comics in bags and, yep. you know, keeping them, making sure I didn't rip the cover off of them. And, you know, because <laughs> some of my comics are just, God, shredded. Rob said that before. It's like, what did you do to your comics when I tell them? <laughs> it's like, what did you, did you like run over the lawnmower or something? You know, so. You I, loved them. I loved them. That's, that's what right. it was. You that's, loved them. That's right. I loved them. So, uh, yeah, I mean. I won't argue that, you know, there was exciting comics and everything, but I just think that, you know, if they just done everything but just kind of kept Earth 2 there to go, because I think that's, I think, I think if the new 52, if they had just, you know, done some big cosmic event, I don't know why DC has never tried this. You know, they had recreated the multiverse after Infinite Crisis. Yes. So, you know, they had they had a multiverse again, which, how I many they've had now? I don't know. but They've done it a bunch. They've done it a bunch, but they had a new multiverse, which, you know, it's like it wasn't the old multiverse. It You know, it, sometimes it kind of was, like mm-hmm. the JSA annual, but it wasn't quite. But, you know, why not just do some huge, big, you know, event? Why didn't they just have the Flash? They wanted to do Flashpoint, have him get stuck on this parallel world he can't get out of, and that's the new 52 universe. So the old one would be out there. The old one was still out there. They wanted to cut the cord, though. They were afraid it would look like too much of a safety net and that people wouldn't get... Well, they said this. They said they were afraid people would not invest in the new world if they thought that the old one was going to come back. But if they, to me, if they had done what they did post-crisis and they put some thought... And I know post-crisis was a rambling time. You know, they didn't have things right. obviously worked out. It, by the way, I'm sorry, real quick... It was not as much of a mess as people make it out to sound like. Uh, yeah, Hawkman and a couple yeah. of them rolled out later, but it wasn't the end of the world. It no. wasn't like all of us were sitting around screaming going, why isn't Hawkman's origin straight? It wasn't until like the 90s till we started caring about right. that. Right, I mean, really, t- to me, and, and, and you know, I know the hey Kids, on Hey Kids Comics, they talked about post-crisis comics. Yeah. And I think Andy, you know, it was, it was, he was kind of under the impression 
that everything really did start over completely. T to me, as a reader, I didn't really get that. It, to me, I thought, okay, everything, it's all in one Earth, and they all existed on one Earth, but until you tell me different, I just assumed that the stories happened as printed with just slight modifications. Yeah, yeah. I was the it, same way. It, I mean, that's the way I always looked at it, because they didn't start over. Wolfman wanted them to, but uh, Giordano thought, we don't have the manpower, the talent, to relaunch the whole line right yeah. now. So he, he vote, voted him down. Him mm. and Jeanette Kahn voted him down. So, but with, with the new 52, I think if they had just, you know, almost like the Ultimate Universe or like All Star was supposed to be, if they just got the top creators, paid them money, and said, we want you on this book, you know. Get Neil Adams to draw. I know it's a, a draw Batman, or get right. or get uh, yeah. you know get get Dave Gibbons to to draw Green Lantern or something you know, and, and and get Mark Wade back on Flash or something, and get got the top people on the books and relaunched them. I don't think it would have mattered. You know, this is a new universe. This, we're starting over with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Rob, and <laughs> and Justice League. And those are the titles, and then we'll expand from there, you know. And just started with that, with an all-star creative team on them, and, and worked things out, you know, like a year in advance to get, like, books ahead of schedule, made sure people were happy and stayed on the books. Then you would have had the launch that they needed. Sure. And, and they could have said, this is a new universe, like, Flash could, because he's the Flash, and the Flash is who ushered in the Silver Age, and he died in crisis and ushered in the post-crisis the post -crisis age. Or Wally kind of did. Well, so Well, he did usher in the New 52. I mean, that's what Flashpoint was about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, they used him for that. But if yeah. they, they used, the like, the Flash, the Barry from our our post-crisis yeah. universe was the one in the New 52 and he couldn't get out, you know. Okay. Then you could have kept the, you know, you could have kept the old one over here and maybe had one title in it or something. I see what you're saying. You know, and just, just to appease those fans. I mean, that's, that's what kills me is, like, when they did this whole DCU thing. They got that JLA title from um, uh, Brian Hitch. Brian or, Hitch. Yeah. Why don't they just? Why not try to launch a like classic Justice League title with like Jerry Ordway or somebody drawing it? Yeah. Why not just try that? You yeah. know, it's like it, see, it, it's worth six if you can do a Batmite and a Bizarro comic. Book. <laughs> no offense to those; they look right. fun. But if you can take a risk on publishing that, you can take a risk on publishing Superman in a pair of trunks. You know, Batman with an oval on his chest in a comic book that's all ages, but not not like the DC Super Friends comic, but that's appropriate for all ages, that's got a Bronze Agey kind of feel to it, or even a post-crisis feel, if you want, and and still, and, and just see if it sells. I mean, because they're trying all these new titles, try that title. Well, they are doing a Superman post-crisis book. But isn't it like the son of Superman or something? Well, no, it's it's... It's the post-crisis Superman okay. and Lois yeah. and their son, okay. and they're living in the New 52 universe, basically. Okay. Somehow they've ended up in the New 52 universe, but it is supposed to be, well, maybe not your Kal-El, but my Kal-El oh, from post-crisis. I'm fine with Kal-El like yeah. that, yeah. So it's supposed to be them, and now he's wearing a black suit to kind of distinguish him from the, the current one. But And Dan Jurgens is writing it, though. I, well, So it gives me hope. yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, if Dan Jurgens is writing it, then maybe I ought to check it out. But I don't know. But you, you kind of described the way to roll this out. They did kind of do that with Post-Crisis. It just wasn't all at once. Right. They put the superstar people on it. They put Byrne yeah. on there. They put Miller on Batman. They put right. Perez on Wonder Woman. They put um, uh, 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 
Tim Truman on and, and on Hawk, Hawk World. World. You know, what I mean, they they put big celebrity people. They just had to do it slowly. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and that's fun. Yeah, I think I think they. Sh- you know, that's I think that's the thing. I think the new Fifty Two. And I, I'm not saying anybody, nothing anybody hasn't said, but I think, and and I, and and maybe they didn't have any choice because you know the the rumor is is that, that Warner Brothers said uh, you need to do something about your books. They're not selling. And it, it happened very quickly. And within six months, they relaunched them. Mm-hmm. So they went, like, in six months, they they re, totally relaunched the, the comic arm of the company. Yeah. So, you know, that's not really... The crisis... St- they started playing in crisis in 1982. Right. And it didn't come out till 85. That's one reason why, you know, it's in that article, too, that, that Marvel swooped in, came up with Secret Wars as yep. a toy tie-in, and also to try to steal their thunder ahead of uh, crisis... And Ohatmu to steal the thunder from Who's Who, which they were working on. So that's what it said in that article. I've, I always kind of, to me, that's always been a little, I don't know about that. I would agree with everything up to Ohatmu. Okay. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure Marvel Universe was way ahead of Who's Who. So I know that came out in 83, I and, think. and Who's Who didn't start life as Who's Who. Who's Who started life as Peter Sanderson collecting notes for Crisis. Okay. And then Who's Who kind of came out of the, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I, obviously, we weren't there. Right, right. And both sides are going to say different things. Yeah. But I'm I'm willing to bet I think Marvel had Ohio. And, and I'm, a, I'm more of a who's who fan, don't get me right. wrong. I, I better think Mar- be. <laughs> I think Marvel had Ohio first. Um, quick thing about legacies. Okay. Because uh, we kind of lost touch with the legacy piece of the discussion. Okay. My argument for legacies, and, I, and I'm not even going to go to a lot of detail, I'm just going to say some things and you're going to go, oh, Mark Wade's Flash mm-hmm. and Jeff John's early run on Justice Society. Mm-hmm. Those books are some of the best books DC ever produced as far as the legacy stuff. Right. And Well, I, I take that back. They're some of the best books DC's produced in yep. the last 20 years. They're phenomenal. They took the whole legacy concept and made them amazing. Right. You know, take uh, the the Mark Wade book, and if you want to have Parallel Earths, you got to take Jay Garrick out. You take Max Mercury out. You mm. take Jesse Quick out. Is that as good of a book? Well, it's just a cosmic treadmill away, but okay. But it's different when... <laughs> I know what you mean. It's different when Wally grew up with Jay as Uncle Jay. Yeah. Not somebody he saw once a year, Yeah. you know, at the party. Right. But he saw... He grew up with Jay. Jay probably babysat him, for goodness sakes. Who knows? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. In the, in the JSA book... You know, you you mix the black canary. You know, the best thing that happened out of crisis is getting a black getting rid of black canary's orchid. Oh God! <laughs> but having black canary be two people. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, so much good came out of it. And and I, I realize I'm totally biased because I came into this, you know, after crisis. Right. But it just it it makes the legacy idea. It maybe it's because I'm a family guy. You know, I came from a big family. I had a very was very involved with my aunts and uncles, and sort of the family tradition. It made DC feel like a family. That's true. Yeah. And I love that part of DC, and I feel like it's not there now. No. There's no, no there's no legacy now. No. Uh, and when I go back and look at the Earth Two stuff from pre crisis, it's fun. Yeah. And I love I love the the excitement of the JSA stories. You don't know where it's going. I love that they're the premier heroes on their planet. But it's not a it's not as much of a family. Mm. I like the family feeling. Well, you know, and I, and I, you know, it seems kind of odd since we cover Starman on our show. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There's a great, amazing legacy. Yeah, yeah. that's a legacy. But that, that could have been told on Earth that 2. That could have mostly been told on Earth 2. There I'd was agree very with little that. Earth 1 involved in that, honestly. It could have been an Earth 2 title. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think, I think my, why I can't, I, the, the two halves of me that are constantly at war about crisis is because those Earth 2 stories 
you know, you got little snippets of like, you know, you got that amazing DC Comics Presents annual with the two Superman. That was a, like a, it's actually like a prequel to Crisis. Right. Uh, so you've, you've got that one. You've got the, my favorite comic book of all time, Brave and the Bold number 182 with Batman and the Earth 2 Robin. Right. Uh, I mean, you've got the, the, the story with the, uh, a few issues later with the Huntress and Batman where Batman's going to quit and, you know, and uh, the Christmas story. And I mean, I think because the Earth Two, the Earth Two concept was such a great vehicle for writers to explore aspects of the characters that they couldn't otherwise. I think that's that's the real thing that that made me miss it. You know that 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 they couldn't. I mean, I know they come up with Elseworlds, you know, and they were fun, but you know they kind of beat it to death. You know, they're a little disposable. Yeah, they were a little bit disposable, and they when they got when they got to just like. Mixing this, well, let's make Batman a Green Lantern and let's, you know, do this. And it's like the Joker and Luther are the same person, you know, and, right. and different things like that. It was just, you know, it's, you know, that's when it's getting, I mean, that you can say what you want, but that's just Silver Age goofiness with a new, with a new veneer, you know, yeah. so, but uh, which is, you know, they're fun. But I mean, it, you know, I, I think I just, I've always missed that, that special, you know, that look, that, that older Superman, the fact that the older Superman could be married to Lois. He had gray in his hair. He had the funky, you know, Kirk Allen sweater sleeves, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which Perez drew on and which I love, you know. I mean, you know, it just, it, I, I, I just, I just hated to see, you know, all of that lost, you know, and, and, uh, so there's always going to be a part of me. Of course, when they try to bring it back and, Infinite Crisis, I wish they just left him the hell alone. I agree. <laughs> yeah. That was just awful. That was terrible what happened. I yes. still, I'm still waiting for the day in one of these crisis events where the real Earth One Superman, who wasn't a punk ass and walked into a vault of gold kryptonite, <laughs> shows up. Because that's an imaginary story, folks. Yeah. Aren't they all? But yeah. that one was. He shows up and kicks somebody's ass. Because <laughs> <laughs> we all know that the Earth one Superman can be a dick sometimes. Yeah. Super dickery. Yep. And he shows up because I keep, that's the one character that, now maybe he did in Convergence and I just don't, because I know there was a Convergence. There was some with him, with, but I. Yeah, with him and a headband Supergirl. I didn't, I didn't read him. I didn't that read that pre-crisis nonsense? Yeah. <laughs> pre-crisis. He's going to come and kick somebody's ass and lock him up in his prison in sky, in the sky. <laughs> Yeah, and then have some judge tell them, you can't do that, Superman. Right. Well, I was going to put him in the Phantom Zone. No, you can't do that. Yep. What, what, what gives you the jurisdiction to do that? I'm Superman, damn it. Oh, God. <laughs> but, you know, I've never, we've never had the Earth-1 Superman come back. And after what they did to Earth-2 Superman, maybe I don't want him to. Well, that's that's <laughs> the biggest problem is is you be careful what you wish for in today's comic market. Yeah, that's so. true. That's true. Well, in summary, I think it's fair to say that crisis had to happen, and we're better for it. Right. Good talk. Good talk. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if we resolved anything, but it was just fun to talk about. Absolutely. Nothing else. So, uh, thanks, Shag, for, for rambling with me in my car, and uh, and uh, now I'm going to take you to a rest stop around here somewhere and leave you. Right. Uh, I was going to say, please, uh, <laughs> if you hear this, and I'm not appearing on the podcast, uh, Fire and Water podcast regularly anymore, please let, let my family know I love them, and they were my last thoughts. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny if it wasn't true. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, so, Shaggy, you want to tell people where they can find you since I did a horrible job of introducing you? I told them on the front end. Oh, you did tell them on the front end. Damn it, you should know who I am. So go. <laughs> I'm the Irredeemable Shag. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can find me all in all the social medias under that. Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, Twitter, Skywriting, maybe uh, Pinterest. I don't know. Anyway, um, you can also find me on the Fire and Water podcast, the Who's Who podcast, all those family shows. And I pop up on other shows from time to time. What about the Hero Points podcast? <sighs> Good night, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to Shag, and uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. And uh, we just want to say that uh, we missed the pre-crisis universe. So, Cindy, call me. <laughs> <laughs>
Blinded by my hunger, I ignored safety. I ignored safety. Spat in the face of science. Turn off the flame. Turn off the flame. Oh, I can't escape. What am I doing? Oh, 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 look at this. That is so stupid. Don't keep yourself, your family, and me safe from turkey fryer fire. So dangerous, so dangerous. You can't even imagine a I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moisture, taste your turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moisture, taste your turkey. That fryer took so much from me. But it gave me a healthy fear, 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 Fire, metal, oil, and turkey are glorious when in harmony, but their power is unrelenting in careless hands. Okay, we're back, and I think we can all agree that I was right. Uh, and Shai was wrong. <laughs> well, you know. It's not like you were arguing with me, so, you know, uh-huh. I'll let you win. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> so we're going to jump into the old email bag and comment bag and Facebook comment bag and whatever uh, missives we've gotten on episodes, starting with uh, episode number 36, which was our Batman the Animated Series episode with Ryan Daly, the aforementioned mm-hmm. Ryan. Um, he came by to talk about your... Uh, top villains. Top villains, top most improved villains that the animated series improved from their... From their uh, comic roots. And actually, our first email is from Ryan himself. Okay. Ryan writes, Thanks again for having me on the show, Chris and Cindy. I was talking about this show with my own brilliant wife, and she asked why the Joker didn't make my top five, or even the honorable mention. I tried to explain that the Joker didn't need to be improved or fixed by the animated series. The Joker in the comics was doing just fine. The wife then went on to explain how the Joker in the cartoon was a perfect synthesis of all the best elements of the comics and films, just like Batman himself, so he was an improvement worthy of mentioning. I told her she should have made that argument before we recorded the episode, to which she pointed out that she had no idea I was going to appear on this show. And then she asked why we don't communicate better, and then it turned into one of those arguments. So yeah, I hate you, Chris and Cindy. Don't ever ask me to be on your show again. (laughs) Nice. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we already asked you to be on the show again, so there. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from, of course, Ryan is the host of Secret Origins Podcast, Flowers and, Fitch, Fitch, Flowers and Fishnets, Flowers and Fishnets, which I already mentioned, and Dead Both and Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Although, I don't know why anybody would be interested in Star Wars right now. But, uh, yeah, really. Yeah. You know. uh, so we got a... Comment from some guy named Rob Kelly. I don't know who the hell that guy is. Oh, me either. Uh, he complained that it's late this episode. Maybe the extra length was supposed to make up for it. Now, this is Chris commenting. It was not late. You get two episodes a month, and sometimes they come out on different weeks based on the way the calendar falls. Yeah. So, to my notion, we have not yet been late. We've been no. very lucky. So, so there you go. Uh <laughs> I was worried, Rob, Rob writes, I was worried my fave bat villain, the Scarecrow, wouldn't make the list. As the show wore on, I got concerned that I was going to have to unfriend all three of you in retaliation. <laughs> then Cindy Franklin came in and saved the day by placing him at number one. So, See. So there you go. Great minds think alike. Yes. There's a documentary on Netflix called Casting By, 
about some of the more legendary movie casting directors and how for decades it was an unsung art. Has there ever been a better casted show than Batman the Animated Series? No. That's Mm-mm. me. Uh, as Ryan mentioned, in many ways, Andrea Romano was just as influential as Bruce Timm, Paul Dini, etc. She managed to cast the definitive Batman, the definitive Joker, etc. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree completely, Rob. Exactly. Yeah. So I I felt kind of bad because actually I, it was Ryan that mentioned that, but I always think of Andrea Romano as as definitely one of the key people on that show. Mm-hmm. And, and Rob, Rob continues, I find it quite charming when Cindy calls Chris Christopher. Actually, I generally do call you Christopher. Yeah. If you call me Chris, it's the opposite of most people. Uh-huh. If you call me Chris, I'm in trouble. Uh-huh. Uh, great sign-off tag. Can you do one for our show? This and is, this is, of course, in reference to our little girl doing the sign-off tag. Yes. So she's in high demand now. Talk to talk to her agent, which is me. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I get that percentage. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we are cherry-picking from the comments because we got quite a bit of feedback. So we're not reading every single line of every comment, but we are reading a part of every comment. Right, right. So. Gene Hendricks writes in to say, hmm, limiting it to five? Wow, tough one. Okay, here's mine in no particular order. Mr. Freeze, of course, Clayface, Mad Hatter, the ventriloquist, Maxi Zeus. There you go. It's it's interesting that, that Gene picked Maxi Zeus because I know he's big into mythology. And he has the uh, Hammer Podcasts podcast. And, of course, Gene's been on our show before. Mm-hmm. And he also is on Two True Freaks elsewhere does the Quantum Cast Comic Book Fight Club. Great stuff there. The next comment is from Jeff Middleton. Hello, folks. Love the latest podcast with the villains from Batman the Animated Series. I remember reading an issue of Comic Scene, the comic-related magazines from Starlog Press, about the upcoming series and was in love with the designs and the description from those involved. In 1992, I attended the Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, where DC had a big presence. They had a video of On Leather Wings playing on a loop. This was before the series debuted on Fox. I was awestruck and couldn't wait to see the series when it launched. As you guys said, Andrea Romano deserves to be mentioned equally with Paul Dini and Bruce Timm, as well as Alan Burnett and Kevin Altieri. You only had to look at the Spider-Man series on Fox to see how much Romano's contributions helped the show. Spider-Man used celebrity voices, but they just did voices. Romano got performances out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he lists, and I agree with that. I mean, the the difference, and this is this is nothing against. I know there's a lot of people that are really fond of the '90s Marvel cartoons that were on Fox, and you know, there's part of it I like too. But I mean, it just there's a huge difference between the level of quality on Batman animated series and in those shows and and the voice casting is part of it. Jeff gives us his top five list. Number one, the Joker. To me, the gang improved upon the recent trend in Joker stories by pulling him back from being a violent psychopath to demented agent of chaos, my preferred Joker. Number two, Mr. Freeze. They really elevated this character, probably more than any other. He became a truly tragic figure. Number three, Two Face. Richard Maul was fantastic, and they did a nice job of developing Harvey Dent first, then transforming him into Two-Face. Number four, Bane. I never liked the character up to this point, but I loved Bane as a luchador hitman. Hey. (laughs) Yeah, made sense. Number five, Mad Hatter. They did a tremendous job in making him a real character, both tragic and chilling, aided by another amazing performance by Roddy McDowell. Amen. I would put Penguin in the honorable mention. 
this is I thought this was funny. P.S. When you mentioned being in high school when the series aired, I felt really old. I was leaving the military when the series was previewed at Heroes Con. It's a feeling I've had with several of these podcasts as hosts talk about getting into comics in the 80s when I was in college. I'm an old Bronze Ager with my first comics coming around 1970-71. I remember being excited that the Justice League were coming to cartoons on the Super Friends. Heck, I saw when Superman and Wonder Woman and the Lone Ranger made guest appearances on the Brady Kids cartoon prior to the Super Friends launch. I'll stop now before I get totally depressed. Aww. Don't feel bad, Jeff, because the uh, Batman, the animated podcast show, the people, the guy that hosts that and the people he have has on there all, they were kids when the yes. animated series won. They were like six, seven. Elementary. Yeah, yeah, they were in elementary school when it was on. So every time I listen to that, I'm like, oh, God, I feel old. <laughs> so it just, it's, it's relative, you know. So. Yes. And actually, Jeff has recently been on several episodes of Secret Origins. Oh, okay. So uh, I've really enjoyed listening to him there. Do a podcast, Jeff. There. Now, here's a, here's a guy that's got a podcast, Derek William Crabb of the Fan Holes podcast. So you want to read this one? Sure. Hello, Chris, Cindy, and Ryan. Fun listen. Bane made my quick list. The others came up in my head as you introduced the episode was fairly similar to many of your picks. Freeze and Two-Face immediately came to mind, and after a spell, Mad Hatter and Clayface for sure. Derek goes on to list, uh, we were talking about all the different Clayfaces with Ryan, and we were all kind of foggy on kind of where it, what happened after uh, Preston Payne, the Clayface 3. Uh, so he lists us all the, the Clayface uh, you've got from the comics. Basil Carlo, Matt Hagen, of course was the Clayface on the animated series, Preston Payne, Lady Clayface, a.k.a. Sandra Fuller. Their son, Cassius Clay Payne. Seriously, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> Peter Malley during Kelly Jones' run, a.k.a. Clay Thing. Now, see, I don't, I, I had those issues, but I don't remember him being a different guy. Johnny Williams from Gotham Knight. I probably have that, but don't remember it. Todd Russell, in quotes, from Ed Brubaker and Darwin Cook's Catwoman. Don't remember that one. And Ethan Bennett from The Batman TV series. I do remember that one. Also, please tell Danny she delivered an awesome outro for the podcast. See, I mean, we're, she's going to ask for a raise. I know. I, I mean, know. it's just, wow. So, uh, in addition to the Fan Holes podcast, Derek produces some really fun videos in his History of Comics on Film series. So, check those out. They're real, a whole lot of fun. Okay. This next feedback is in reference to episode 37, Batman the Animated Series with Ryan Part 2. This feedback comes from Rob Kelly. Any episode where I'm mentioned repeatedly gets five stars from me. Oh, my. <laughs> Even though a lot of us comic podcasters end up covering the same material, some shows do seem to lay claim on certain pieces of geekdom, either through quality of presentation or sheer number of hours devoted. See Fire and Water and Who's Who, Ryan Daly, and Secret Origins, Michael Bailey and the Crisis. I would say the Supermates podcast has earned that when it comes to Batman the Animated Series. You guys have such enthusiasm for the material. I feel like it's yours now, if you know what I mean. On a tangible note, Cindy has to accept that Bruce Trim draws amazingly beautiful women, and Chris can't help but notice. <laughs> yeah, but if I don't whack him at least once an episode, you all are going to miss that. Yeah, it's, it, exactly. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, <laughs> when it comes to Batman the Animated Series, I feel like, uh, you know, the way Rob said that, it's like, feel like Daffy Duck when he's in the... You know, into the has the genie's treasure. Mine, 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 mine. He's beating Bugs Bunny <laughs> down, you know, and beating the genie down. Yeah, so it's that's kind of what 
I, I mean, there's plenty of Batman. Like, there's Batman the Animated Podcast. There's a Batman animated podcast where an actual trained psychiatrist examines the characters in each episode. So, wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, it's like amongst our circle, I think, you know, we've right. kind of, you know, I, I guess we have kind of laid claim to the. And I'm the one that bought you, just to go back to whopping you on that i bought you the bruce tim book yeah you did buy me that bruce tim book so yes you you did and i mentioned that at the time so uh, i think i did anyway all joking aside rob kelly is of course from the fire and water podcast mm -hmm. and the film and water podcast and the who's who podcast everything over on the fire and water feed over there so and you know obviously that's uh where we sprang from so jeff nelson wrote so again we sprang from his podcasting loins <laughs> <laughs> There's no way, no way you came from my loins. <laughs> little, be, little beef for tea justice for you. When I get home, I'm going to punch your mama in the mouth. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Jeff Middleton writes, Harley, obviously, is one of the most brilliant, brilliantly conceived characters to appear in Batman in decades. What really made her work was both the great writing from Paul Dini, excellent character designs, and that wonderful performance by Arlene Sorkin. The accent reminded me of May Questel, who voiced Betty Boop in Olive Oil and who was Clark Griswold's Daffy Ann in Christmas Vacation. Thorkin made Harley both delightfully ditzy and dangerously demented. She also brought the right emotional touch to the times when Harley felt down and made you feel for the character. A personal favorite is Harley's Day Out, where a series of misunderstandings pushes Harley a little too far. There's a nice little exchange at the end. Where Harley asks why Batman stood by her and protected her, and he remarks that he had a bad day once. The emotion in both Arlene Sorkin and Kevin Conroy's voices is pitch perfect. Yeah, that's a great one. Mm -hmm. And he blew my mind by telling me, by dropping the knowledge that the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil was Clark Griswold's aunt. I yeah, had no idea. I, I, know, I know. I had no idea of that. And I, you know, I've watched Christmas Vacation at least at least once every Christmas, if not. Oh, two yeah. or three. Every time it's on TV, I stop and watch it. But I watch it through once a year. Oh, we also wrote, I need to listen to the Starman episodes now, as that was by far my favorite series of the 90s. Hellboy and Astro City were close. The comic had been optioned when it was still being published, and I remember Robinson talking about a proposed TV series. To me, it seems like a no-brainer. Yes, again, it's Starman is the TV series that's just waiting to happen. I mean, it's tailor-made. For a TV series. So, I mean, I don't know why there... Hasn't gone on yes. yet. Okay, our next <clears throat> feedback is in reference to episode 38, which was the House of Frankenstein, number one, Vampire Lover Skeeter. Rob Kelly wrote in, I listened to this episode, rented the movie, and listened again. Now that I've seen it, I understand why it was never included on those Hammer Weekend Creature Feature UHF packages. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to cut it to ribbons. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's funny. It seems like the news that Carmilla is a vampire is way more quickly accepted than her lesbianism. Yes, even by Ingrid Pitt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Derek William Crabb wrote back in, only finished listening to the first half this morning. I thought Cindy became the Mindy to your buttons at the end of the movie review. And he gave us a smile emoticon. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I did. I, I, I can't either, but I just remember Mindy and buttons. It's like, yeah. I remember the she would call her mom lady. Yeah. It's like, I'm your mother. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> nice lady. Our next one comes from Zeb Oswald. Cool podcast as always. Never saw the movie, but the comic was pretty good. I got the Dark Knight over Metropolis 
trade paperback when it was recommended by Crisis to Crisis podcast. It was a pretty good added story. Yes, I'm, I'm glad that story got collected finally because it's just kind of been out there in that annual, you know. So I'm glad they finally got around to collecting not only uh, Dark Knight over Metropolis, which is a great Superman Batman crossover, but but that annual as well. Uh, so we got a, another comment from Ryan. This might have been your best episode yet, Chris and Cindy. And given that I was on your last two episodes, that's saying something. <laughs> yes. When I was a freshman in college, I was fortunate enough to take a seminar course on the vampire in literature and film. Lucky dog. Among our first readings were Keats' poem, La Belle Dame Sans Merci, which I just butchered. Butchered. Oh, my gosh. John yes. Polidori's story, The Vampire. And La, La, I know this one. And Le Fanu's Carmilla. And how each of them borrowed from myths and folklore and then influenced Dracula. As you two pointed out, there were two kinds of Hammer films. The 50s, 60s era that was more classical, more elegant, that teased sexuality without making it obvious. And then there were the 70s Hammer films that had boobies. <laughs> I think we all agree the latter was better. <laughs> well, okie dokie then. Amen. But it... <laughs> Is this the part where I whop you? Yes. Ow. <laughs> Uh, you didn't walk me as hard. You really hit me hard last episode. God, that hurt. Uh, well, we just had a little bruise. Suck it up. Uh, we got a letter from Sean Engel of the various Two True Freaks podcasts. And Sean's actually, uh, I, I know he's doing better now. Sean's actually recently been in the hospital and everybody's been pulling for him. He's doing better. He's, oh, good. And so it's it's good to have you back, Sean. And hope, hopefully we'll hear you soon on the, the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror and Who True Freaks and other great shows that I love. So. He says, hello, Chris and Cindy. It's great to hear you two get back covering some spooky cinema and creepy comics on the show. I would love to check out The Vampire Lovers, but it seems like the only place to view it, unless I was to find the DVD in a discount bin somewhere, would be YouTube. Not even Netflix had it, has it for DVD rental, which is odd. Hmm. However, I do have The House That Drip Blood at home and plan on watching it very soon. I remember you recommending it last Halloween, and I've just gotten around to watching it. I'll interrupt here a minute yes the house of drip blood also has ingrid pitt and peter cushing and uh that's the one that's got the vignettes oh, robert right, block right, wrote right, right, right. it's got john pertwee mm -hmm. in the last story so that's a lot of fun christopher lee's in it too i almost we almost covered that one right because and we still might at some point but i just i i was like well i, I had a, i had a comic in mind but to synopsize four different stories, right? It was just like eh, it was getting a little tight, and I'm like, well, maybe next year. So, your choice of comic was a great one as well. As Superman and Batman fighting vampires is a story that sounds so full of Bronze Age zaniness that I'm surprised to find it came out in the post-crisis era. But I am wondering why no one made the obvious remark of Skeeter being a Southern colloquialism for mosquito, an insect that sucks blood. Maybe because that was just a bit too obvious. I don't know, I guess because you and me know people that are named Skeeter. Or well, remember, Daddy called me Skeeter. Right. My, my own father called me Skeeter, so that, it just didn't... It's a common nickname around, around here. here. Yeah. yeah. So, I think that was part of it. But that good point, that's probably why. That is why. a good point, yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, I'm looking forward to the rest of the shows you put out for the holiday season, and I hope that if you continue to keep them as blue as the last one, you make sure the kids are not present for the recording. You deserve the slap for commenting on Ingrid Pitt's grooming habits. Yes, he did. <laughs> Hush. Hush, you. Shut up, you. Uh, and here we thought doing the feedback while they were still up was a good idea. Yeah. Okay, our next set of feedback comes from episode 39, House of Frankenstein number two, Frankie meets Wolfman, and Batman versus the Werewolf. 
Rob Kelly writes in, Even as a kid, when I didn't analyze this stuff like I do now, Universal's constant switching of actors and roles in various Frankenstein movies made my head hurt, to say nothing of their cheerful disregard for continuity. It still feels weird to see Boris Karloff in a movie where he isn't Frankenstein. Mm. Logic Lad? Oh, great. Yet another useless member of the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> you were very kind when mentioning Neil Adams' Batman Odyssey by not simply descending into hysterics. That thing is like a fever dream colored by a meth-addled monkey who took night classes in Photoshop. <laughs> Think I can agree with that? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Ryan Daly wrote again, So happy you included the high-pitched twangy guitar riff from the Batman the Animated Series Moon of the Wolf, as it's the most memorable part of the episode, which is not meant to be a criticism of the episode. I love it, but the guitar part, crazy. Uh, it's okay, Ryan. You can criticize that episode, because as much as I love Batman the Animated Series, that one's not, Weak. The, yeah. not the best episode, which is what you know we said before. Okay, our next part of feedback comes from episode 40, House of Franklinstein number 3, The Mummy slash Thing Meets Living Mummy, and it comes from Jeff Middleton. I've been listening to a couple of your House of Frankenstein podcasts and am enjoying the heck out of them. Well, good, good, good to hear. I was never a big horror fan as an active imagination tended to make me prone to nightmares. I once got nightmares from a Gilligan's Island episode and a Viewmaster viewing reel. Oh. <laughs> I bet you the Gilligan one was the one where Gilligan thinks he's a vampire. Oh. I There's know. this really cool dream sequence where... Oh, that's right, that's right. Where uh, he, it's, it's Gilligan is a vampire... And the uh, professors, Sherlock Holmes and the Skippers, Watson, and they get into a fight, but it's a Batman, uh, 60s Batman type fight with sound effects and oh, stuff. Oh, okay. So it's really cool. <laughs> so going back to the feedback. So it's only been in recent years that I have begun sampling the classic Universal and Hammer films. You can keep your slasher films. These are great cinema. Here, here. Yes, yes. Totally agree with that. You guys pose the question as to whether Peter Cushing served in the armed forces. He did not, but he was a member of ENSA, the Entertainment's National Service Association, a group made up of entertainers who traveled around performing for service members, much like the USO. As such, Cushing would have been in regular contact with professional soldiers and draftees and could have easily picked up the mannerisms you point out. I'd be interested to hear you guys cover my favorite Hammer film, Captain Kronos' Vampire Hunter. Well, I tell you what. I would like to cover Captain Cross Vampire Hunter. That's an awesome movie, so we might have to do that. Mm. Uh, and as for Peter Cushing, thank you for uh, dropping that knowledge on us. Again, Jeff's always got the knowledge. But, I know, I know. Uh, I'm telling and, you know, I, I could have looked it up before, you know, but I, I was lazy. We were recording and I didn't look. Yeah, you, we were doing You asked one. me that on the fly, and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's I okay. I put you on the spot, no. but I mean, it is something that, you know, I noticed, you know, the way I've cut seen. This, Cigarette. The retirees around the community, if you ever see them out and they smoke, mm -hmm. that's how they smoke their cigarette. It's cupped. Mm. Well, there you I go. I mean, you know, all my fellows that come in the library and give me hugs and stuff. Yeah. That's how they, you know. All the old men that come in for free hugs. Hey. <laughs> they're my guys. I help them find their library books and stuff. I know. Uh, so Rob wrote in on the Mummy episode. Fun show as always. You guys seem to be having a real good time with time on this, especially on the Marvel 2-in-1 story. Always liked Christopher Lee as the mummy. He always seemed like a genuine physical threat, unlike, blasphemy, Karloff, who it looked like you could break into two just by tipping him over. <laughs> yeah, you ain't gonna tip Christopher Lee over. Uh, by the way, at one point Chris said that it was Paul Kupperberg who passed away, when of course it was Alan, 
And God, I felt awful about that. Oh, I, I know. Believe. Just as soon. I, like, oh. I went back and listened to it. I'm like, did I really say that? I'm like, oh, gosh. Because I know Alan is Paul's brother, so I apologize to. I'm sure Paul wasn't listening. But, you know, it, it, to any friends, I know Rob's friends with him. So any friends or family of the Coverbergs, I apologize. I felt like a total ass after he pointed that out. I'm like, oh. Uh, finally, I like to see these horror-themed shows continue. Any chance Cindy's maiden name is either Wolfman or Acula? <laughs> it's no. Alucard. <laughs> no, it's Utley. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'd love to do more too. It's just we don't, we just don't have time. You know, I'd, I'd love to have like a separate horror podcast, but no, you would kill me. <laughs> just no. Just no. No. Uh, so, <laughs> Ruth Sutherland writes in, Hammer films are consistently our favorite horror movies. Well, I would, me too. Yes. There you go. So, uh, Darren and Ruth, we should get together and just have a, a Hammer movie, movie night. Yeah. Hammer movie night. So, they, they have the Trekker Talk podcast and we have the Supermates podcast, so we could just hang out. So, there you go. <laughs> Sounds fun to me. Episode number 41, Return of the Vampire and Captain America vs. Baron Blood had some comments. Uh, Rob Kelly w- wrote, Wonderful episode. Return of the Vampire is, is underrated and it's cool you gave it some love here. Funny how in this movie a vampire is really unbelievable, but a werewolf? Meh. <laughs> Cindy's laugh is infectious. Yes, it is. Thank you. Uh, I think so. Thank you. I think a Tesla cover album is Christmas. That's a good compliment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think a Tesla cover album is in Chris Franklin's future. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should hear my version of Signs, which is a cover version from the... They did a cover of Signs, and then I do a cover of Signs. But anyway, that Baron Blood storyline in Cap is one of the best. You wouldn't think the character with that costume would lend itself to a moody, dark vampire horror story, yet Stern and Byrne made it work. I have that paperback book, it's a beloved mountain comic. Lucky. <laughs> uh, well, if anybody ever comes comes across a copy of The Wolfman Returns, please, Lord, let me know. Oh, the Jeff Roven book? Yes. Yeah, that's that. we've talked about that, I think, before. It's, it's like, it's, of course, been out of print for almost 20 years. I, I know, I know. One time, one time, it was on eBay, and it went for like 20 bucks. And I didn't realize that you wanted it that badly. Yeah. And I let it go, and I was just like... I really do want to read that because it, he... I understand the books after that aren't very good. Right, But right. this is the first one out of the gate when they were doing a Universal novel series. It ties up all the continuity of the movies. Mm-hmm. It even ties in Evan Costello meet Frankenstein. It picks up where that left off with a bitten McDougal... Uh, you know, the fact that the Wolfman and Dracula went off into the ocean when the Wolfman tackled him. So I definitely want to read that. So there's our subtle hint. Anybody, you know, can hook me up. Hook, contact Cindy. Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Um, Von Z writes in, my favorite Captain America issues. Great art, great story, great podcast, great fun. Well, Thank you. Short and sweet and to the point. Thank you. So Jeff Nelton wrote again, I was a fan of the Invaders way back when it was on the stands. Though I only met, though I only got my hands on a few issues at the time, including the final one. However, when I was in college and discovered my first comic shop, they were among the first books I sought out. Those early issues are tremendous, especially from the Baron Blood storyline starting in issue number seven, right up through about issue twenty-one, where the gang fights Master Man and Warrior Woman in Berlin. I ate that stuff up. Frank Robbins gets a pretty bad rap as a comic artist, but I love this stuff, especially the Invaders. Timely was a very pulpy 
comic book company with monsters, psycho killers, racial caricatures, and general mayhem on their covers and inside their stories. Robbins captured that well with plenty of dynamic energy. He also made it look like the 40s, or at least the 40s of comic books. I heard your question on the show. Thanks for the shout-out. I can't recall another story where Cap's chainmail is presented in its actual purpose. It seemed like a lot of artists forgot that he even wore chainmail and just treated his shirt as cloth. It's a nice touch by Stern and Byrne. And Andrew pointed out to me, he showed me a picture of, I think it's artwork from a some kind of promotional piece for Captain America Civil War. They have at least the pattern of the chainmail in Chris Evans' outfit now. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Which every other character's got that chainmail going on, that, yeah. that look going on, so why not Cap? But thanks for letting us know, Jeff. That, so apparently John Byrne was maybe the first to use Cap's chainmail as a defense what tool. What it's actually designed yeah. for. I, he, he writes, uh, Jeff continues, I used to have the trade collection of the Byrne and Stern Cap run with its cover by Byrne. Byrne also colored it, which is a trick as he is colorblind. I knew that, but I never thought about if he did any coloring work. He uses Prismacolor markers, which have the shades written on them, so it looks different than a standard color job done with Dr. Martin dyes. So there you go. Hmm. See, again, Jeff drops the knowledge. <laughs> well, there you go. Zeb Oswalt writes in, Glad Bela was able to play the character a second time. Sounds like a cool movie. I think Batman was based on Bela. Well, a bit of him was Drac. Or maybe from the movie where a detective pretends to be a vampire to catch a crook. I think Bela was in a remake in it. The Cap story was awesome. I think that um, I think that Zeb is referencing London After Midnight, which is of course a lost film. That's the one with Lon Chaney, where he's got all the vampire teeth in the top hat, and mm-hmm. and they remade that as Mark of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi. Um, I I I would I think that Bob Kane cited Bela Lugosi as somewhat of an influence on Batman. But I think the movie he, the one he's thinking of is there was a movie called The Bat, and then a remake called The Bat Whispers, and in the one of those I'm thinking it's the first one, The Bat, the the villain actually wears a bat looking mask. I mean he looks kind of like Man Bat. It's mm-hmm. like a humanoid bat mask, and I think that's the one that Kane cited as the influence on Batman. But honestly, who can tell, <laughs> you know, what was really an influence and what was. Just Kane's bullshit answer for right. know, years, so he wouldn't have to mention Bill Finger. Finger. <laughs> I mean, I hate to be that way, but let's be honest. I mean, a lot of stuff has come out since Bob Kane passed away that you know where he swiped, just lifted whole chunks out of books and newspaper uh-huh. strips and stuff. So honestly, it's hard to tell what was you know what was really influential or what he saw later that he could say, "Oh, that was my influence," uh-huh. you know, because there's definitely. There's definitely some some pretty hard evidence that he falsified some drawings that he did later to say he, they were earlier drawings. So it's hard to tell where that came from. And I didn't mean to get into all that, but it's just a sore subject with me. I know. But Bill Finger's getting credit now, so yes. So Batman v Superman Gotham, yeah. <laughs> Andrew just said Batman v Superman Gotham, yay, yeah. So. We have one more piece of feedback, which unfortunately brings things to a very somber finish. As originally recorded, we read a piece of feedback from David Sobko. We had heard David was in the hospital, and his condition was pretty serious, so we wished him well. 
While I was editing this episode, we learned David had passed away. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family and loved ones. I regret that we didn't know David as well as we would have liked, but he was one of us, a fan of comics and an avid listener of related podcasts like Fire and Water and the Two True Freak Network of Shows. So despite his untimely passing, I wanted to read the comments he shared with us back on August 24th regarding episode 36. David said, My favorite animated television show of all time. As for my top five improved characters through this show, number one, Mr. Freeze. Taking a one-note character that never seemed to live up to other ice-based villains in the DCU, the Icicle and Captain Cold coming to mind, and making one of the most moving half-hours of any cartoon out there, at least that I have seen. You know, he makes he made a good point because everybody always brings up Captain Cold, but they very rarely bring up the Icicle. Right, right. But he was from the 40s, so. Number two, the Mad Hatter. You guys are 100% correct. Roddy McDowell made that character his and gave it as a gift to the audience. Number three, Two-Face. Richard Malve gave such a great overall performance as Harvey Dent slash Two-Face, second only to Kevin Conroy on the subtle differences between the two characters they play. I definitely have to agree with that. Yep. Not many other voice actors get to play two sides of a coin like those two do. Number four, Clayface. The way that they ran his art throughout the entire series is heartbreaking. Yes, definitely. Number five, the penguin. Turning him into a quasi-legit business owner, wink, <laughs> was genius. Honorable mention for me goes to the Riddler, just because I love the character and love the look and attitude they gave him in the series. A second honorable mention goes to Mark Hamill's voice. <laughs> I like that. As a slight aside, my daughter, going on 15, got in the car and heard you talking about Killer Croc and immediately said that she loved the episode Sideshow and then spiraled into the growing pains with Clayface. She listed several others, the Rachel Gould two-parter and the introduction of Batgirl being her other favorite of the series. She has watched just about every episode. We'd like to dedicate this episode to David's memory and would encourage our listeners to consider donating to the fund set up through GoFundMe to help David's family with their expenses. Details will be in the show notes. We're going to close this episode out with the theme to David's favorite animated show. Mm-hmm.